0: Hollywood Romances Clark Gable and Carol Lombard Written and narrated by Brad Carty He was the king of Hollywood during its golden era. And, in truth, no actor since Clark Gable has had his combination of masculine sex appeal and box office success that lasted for 30 years. Sean Connery, a much better actor, perhaps came the closest, but most of the films he made when he wasn't playing James Bond lost money. Gable was the biggest star at the biggest studio in Hollywood, yet even when working with other big stars, he dominated the screen. His leading ladies ranged from Joan Crawford to Grace Kelly to Doris Day to Marilyn Monroe, and they all adored him. He starred in what would remain for decades the most successful motion picture of all time. But the picture would probably not have been made had he not been in it, because the public demanded that only Clark Gable could play the role. As his frequent co star and friend Spencer Tracy said of Gable, can't act, doesn't care, and everybody loves him better than any actor that was ever born. Off screen, he lived like a king with every wish catered to. He drank heavily but, unlike Spencer Tracy or Marilyn Monroe, didn't miss work due to booze or pills. He was a man's man who spent most of his time between pictures on lengthy hunting and fishing trips with other hard-drinking male friends. Yet women found him both macho and boyish, an irresistible combination for most of them. He fathered two children, but one was given away by her actress mother to avoid scandal, and the other was born a few months after Gable's death. He married five times and seduced hundreds of women during and between marriages. Some, like Joan Crawford, remained lifelong friends, but only one was his soulmate and the love of his life. Tragically, she died three years after they met, in the service of her country. Paralyzed with grief, Gable would spend the next few years trying to die in the service of his country. This is the story of Clark Gable and Carol Lombard, the King of Hollywood and the Queen of Screwball. William Clark Gable was born on February 1, 1901, in the town of Cadiz in eastern Ohio. Gable's mother died when he was 10 months old, and he didn't have much contact with her family, who were angry that young Clark's father wasn't raising him as a Catholic. His father, who dug oil wells for a living, introduced Clark to hunting, fishing, fixing cars, and other typically masculine pursuits. But the boy also loved music and literature, especially Shakespeare. Gable's father remarried when his son was two, and his stepmother taught him to take pride in his appearance and to play the piano. At one point, the family moved to a farm in central Ohio, but young Gable didn't like working in the fields and instead got a job at the Firestone Rubber Factory at the age of 16. The teenaged Gable decided he wanted to be an actor after seeing a touring play, but his father disapproved. When Clark's stepmother died, the two Gable men moved to Oklahoma and worked as oil riggers and wildcatters for a time. It was only when Clark turned 21 and received the trust from his late mother's family that he was able to strike out on his own. Over the next few years, Gable worked odd jobs while also appearing in as many traveling stock productions as possible. He wasn't much of an actor but he was tall and handsome and could play romantic leads if the role wasn't too challenging. Settling in Portland, Oregon, he began taking acting lessons from a local woman named Josephine Dillon. She saw his potential and paid to have his teeth straightened. She also worked at lowering his voice and improving his posture and physical mannerisms to be more appealing on the stage. Eventually, she decided he was ready for the movies and in 1924, the couple moved to Hollywood. They also got married. The bride was 17 years older than the groom. Gable began to get work as an extra or bit player in silent films while continuing to work in theater. He improved as an actor enough to finally get a role on Broadway in 1928. Gable and Josephine divorced two years later, but the movie star always credited his first wife for teaching him how to act and believing in him. When he died thirty years later, his estate paid off the mortgage to her house. Gable didn't stay single for long. Within days of his divorce, he married Maria Franklin Prentiss Lucas Langham, who had been married twice before. Like Gable's first wife, Maria was also seventeen years older than he, but with a critical difference. She was rich. Maria's first husband had been a brick magnate and one of the richest citizens of Houston, Texas. It was in Houston that Maria first saw a play featuring Gable, and she was instantly smitten. When her husband died and left her a fortune, she married another man and divorced him two years later, then moved to New York City. Learning that Gable was appearing in a Broadway play, she went to a performance and then backstage to introduce herself. The couple were soon dating with Maria buying her boy toy expensive clothes and teaching him social graces. Gable continued to tour in plays and eventually got the leading role in the Los Angeles production of The Last Mile. His performance was good enough to get him a movie contract. Ironically, Spencer Tracy had played the same role in the original Broadway production, which got him his first movie contract. Gable made a few films for Pate and Warner Brothers, but he didn't impress the public or, ultimately, the studios. Future 20th Century Fox studio head Darrell F. Zanuck, then with Warner Brothers, said of Gable, His ears are too big and he looks like an ape. Luckily for Clark Gable, the biggest studio in town, MGM, was looking to increase its roster of handsome young leading men, and he was given a contract in 1930. MGM knew how to build stars slowly by giving them progressively larger parts in films with bigger co-stars. When MGM star Joan Crawford spotted Gable on the lot, she insisted that he be her leading man in the film Dance, Fools, Dance. The two actors would begin an on-again, off-again love affair that lasted for decades. After just a few films, Gable's fan mail was as voluminous as any other star on the MGM lot. And The Hollywood Reporter was writing, quote, Never have we seen audiences work themselves into such enthusiasm as when Clark Gable walks on the screen. Gable began a series of films with Gene Harlow in 1932's Red Dust. The film was made just before the production code forced Hollywood films to become much more prim and less licentious. In Red Dust, nothing was left to the imagination. Gable and Harlow's chemistry was red-hot, and it continued off-screen. Gable was distraught when Harlow died from kidney failure in 1937 at the age of 26 while making their final film together. In 1934, Gable was loaned by MGM to Columbia Pictures to make It Happened One Night. This is often considered the first screwball comedy, which referred to films in which an eccentric woman, often an heiress, comes into the life of a straight-laced man and, while experiencing comic misadventures, the couple falls in love. The film swept the Academy Awards winning Best Picture, Best Screenplay, Best Director for Frank Capra, Best Actress for Claudette Colbert, and Best Actor for Clark Gable. Meanwhile, at another Hollywood studio, a young actress was beginning to make a name for herself. Her original name was Jane Alice Peters when she was born in 1908 to a wealthy family in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Young Jane's parents separated when she was six, and she, her mother and brothers, moved to Los Angeles. Growing up, Jane was passionate about sports and movies and was cast in her first film when the director saw how well and energetically she played baseball. She did a screen test for a Charlie Chaplin film. She didn't get the part. And this led to a contract with 20th Century Fox when she was 16 years old. She also changed her name to Carol Lombard. Her roles were small and infrequent, and she joined Max Senate's company as one of his Senate bathing beauties. One night, while driving home, her date crashed into another car, which shattered the windshield and cut Lombard's face severely, resulting in a prominent scar. She had plastic surgery, but had to use makeup and careful lighting for the rest of her film career to hide it. To bolster her confidence, Senate began giving her bigger roles outside of the bathing beauties group and she learned how to play comedy on the screen. Moving from Senate to Pate, Lombard earned bigger parts and got the attention of critics. When she moved to Paramount Pictures, she also got the attention of William Powell, who was the studio's biggest star. The two actors married in 1931. He was 38, she was 22. The following year, Lombard was cast in No Man of Her Own, opposite Clark Gable. Happily married to Powell, Lombard later said about Gable, quote, We did all kinds of hot love scenes, and I never got any kind of tremble out of him at all, End quote. The Powell-Lombard marriage only lasted a little over two years, although the pair remained friends and even worked together later in this screwball comedy classic, My Man Godfrey. Carol became romantically involved with a singer, songwriter, and band leader named Russ Columbo. Tragically, a year after beginning their relationship, Columbo was killed when a friend's gun went off accidentally.